When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. are listening to Comes a Time with Oteil Burbridge and Mike Fenoya. If you're digging the podcast, do these guys a favor and review and subscribe. It means a lot. Be sure to follow the pod on social media, YouTube, and if you're joining for bonus episodes and exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get on the bus. And now here's Mike and Oteil. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Comes Time. That is Mike. And that is Oteal. We had a good we one. We have a really, a really <laughs> good one for you. Legendary bassist, my hero, Jerry Jamont. Any, anybody that knows bass guitar for real knows the name Jaco Pastorius, who, when I saw him play, he was the reason... That show was the reason I decided to make a go, make a career of music. And Jocko had this one music video that he put out, and he called Jerry Jamat to basically be the guy that would interview him. And he says on there, hey, man, I'm just trying to play like you. <laughs> you know? And Jocko wasn't lying. Jerry Jamat played with... Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Wilson Pickett, The Rascals, Roberta Flack, B.B. King, Freddie King, Chuck Berry, Herbie Hancock, Freddie Hubbard, Errol Garner. It just got George Benson. It goes on and on and on and on. Like he played with Dwayne Allman, King Curtis. Uh, It's just the guy is you've heard him. You know, Jerry Jamont. If you play, if you heard certain songs, you if you listen like, to oh, music, yeah, I know that. <laughs> if you listen to music in America in the last fifty or sixty years, yeah, you know Jerry Jamas playing, and he's just an incredible guy. And what a great, uh, what a thrill and an honor to have him, to have that living history, uh, and his emotional availability to. Uh, yeah, that's that's really the big one. one. This was one of those uh, episodes where literally like what the first five minutes of the episode it's like wait a minute like how's a movie not been made about you number one and number two like we're probably not going to talk a lot about music during this chat you know (laughs) and and it was i mean just the beginnings of his childhood and his life and his existence and the things he had to overcome physically and emotionally and and, and how early he started again just yeah there's so many wild tangents that we could have but we'll have him back as always, you know, like this brings me back to yes. the early, uh, you know, the earliest of episodes that comes a time where we're just like, can you please come back again and talk more? And, you know, so he, he'll be, he'll be back soon for sure yes. to catch the things we hadn't, but you guys are going to love this. And uh, yeah, just a captivating you, spirit. Yeah. Check out this thing. We didn't really talk about it afterwards and I meant to, but I'm glad to get the chance to say it up front because there's a thing that re- it recurs a little bit in the podcast and in this podcast and in life. And what that is, is when you get a wound or even something that is called at the time a disability, it then forces uh, in your process of adapting to that, like a superpower. 
Yeah. Like bats can't see, but they can hear this echo location thing. It's like insane. Yeah. So a lot of his life was like that. These these really bad traumatic things, physical injuries that happened to him that he just developed superpowers to like compensate for it. So it just goes to show you, like, you know, it seems like it could be bad, or it is, but then on the other end, this life, this magic thing balances it out somehow. Yep. Yep, absolutely. That's so true. Um, you guys are going to love this one. Thank you, Jerry, for joining us. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Um, we're here on Pantheon Podcast Network. You can check out all of our podcasts and all the other great podcasts they have on pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, like comes a time, subscribe, share, review. All those things mean a lot. And uh, if you want more, head over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode each week and subscribe to our YouTube channel because we got a lot of fun stuff uh, in the hopper. So thank you and uh, stick around for this great chat with Jerry and we'll see you on the flip. Peace out. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Great too, man. How are you feeling today? I feel, man, it's, it's a fantastic day. This is a, it's a universal nine day, so everything is coming to a culmination. Um, this things are just killing today. I mean, this whole month has been great. Um, in fact, life has been great <laughs> with everything in it. What's a universal nine day? Can you tell those who don't know? It's a numerology. It's nine is culmination. Okay. And in numerology, you reduce every you reduce every number to a single digit. Unless it's a master number, then you leave it as it is. If you arrive at a master number after deducing a number, you might consider leaving that as a master number, or you might reduce it. And it depends upon your life and your personality, what you might vibrate to the single digit or the master number. It's um it's this potential basically.
But universally, nine is a you know culmination of everything. So here we are. It's very interesting. August 9th, this is the last day of uh, the days between Jerry Garcia died on the 9th. And that's a culmination number. That's very interesting. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. The day of a number of completion. Wow. Completion, exactly. Three, six, nine. Completion. That's super interesting. I thought about it a long time. Like, why is it the number of completion? And just on a basic logic level, thought that came to me was that because it starts over after that it's 10 but it's one again right exactly and 10 is a high vibration of one so is 19 a completion number as well is it anything with the nine that's going to be it's funny when you put nine with any number it's the, the digital it goes, goes with it is what it is so it's going to be one Oh, okay. It's going to be one <laughs> so if 29 will be two so come 30. down to what the other number is that's how the nine is the com is completion. That's it. So 99 is a serious day. That's, That's a, a nine big day. Yeah. yeah. 18, nine. Mm. Yeah. Oh, 18 too. Wow. Okay. 81, nine. I mean, you can, this, <laughs> I've been, <laughs> I discovered this when King Curtis died. Um, I started getting into the occult and I, that's well, astrology. Yeah. Tell them um, what happened because that was my yeah, that was my first this. question because we we always come back to people that have had anomalous experiences whether they're you know seeing uh, a near death experience seeing an alien whatever so tell everybody what happened when King Curtis died because this is amazing. Well, yeah, it has to begin. With, I have to go back before that. I left the Christian church when I was twelve. And I knew something was out. I didn't know what was out there, but I knew, I believe in like cause and effect. What you do matters, basically. The golden rule. Yes. Yes. You others if you would do unto yourself. So that's why I, I went yes. by that. And when King Curtis got killed on August 13th, 1971, his manager called me, his valet called me, Norman Duggar, and he told me exactly what happened, blow for blow. And I was so upset. Um, I felt guilty because um, I, I could have um, maybe had said something to him to um, have him change his ways, blah, blah, blah. He reacted to people. But anyway, he was protecting his property. But then, then bottom line is he got killed. And the next day, he appears in my apartment hovering above my kitchen cabinets. At that point, I got religion. Mm. I said, there's something else out here that I need to know about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'll do it, I think, huh? That'll do it. <laughs> so I started looking. You know, the searching. People yeah. started coming into my life that knew something about the occult and things. And Richard Davis, well, what happened, what happened was that um, 16 months later, I was in a terrible car crash near Fatal, and I was out of it. Um... This was 70, 12, December 12th of 72. And in around the fall of 73, because actually, you know, Christmas 72 leads into 73. So somewhere in 73, Richard Davis says, hey, Jerry, you know, um, we, you're not right. <laughs> I know you, bro. We've been, we used to celebrate our birthdays together. He says, um, try checking out Nam Yohoden Gekyo. And that was it. I started chanting Nam Yo Holding Kyo, and everything has been, you know, it's been up and down. I've had my issues here and there, but it's been my stabilizing force for the last 50 years, basically. And seven plus two is nine. So it was a completion <laughs> year. <laughs> right. There you go. I'm on board. My, and I was 27 then also. Nine. It was like, um, Dude, I was, I was just doing all the numbers that you were talking about because the accident added up to a three what was the date on that one i was like uh-oh so that's a three revolution you know Man, um, December 12th. Those, those odd numbers are dangerous numbers you know, watch out on five you watch out for accidents on seven you look for spirituality to take place and nine is completion see of everything that you've done everything see seven that's before. my life my life number is seven yeah, like, so that's oh, why i'm challenged the challenge of dealing with yeah. that that life number of any number, you know, it's um, I'm in my I'm in my harvest cycle now, but I'm more I'm just as productive as I was when I was in my formative cycle or hmm. trying to be, you know, because I got things I want to do that need to be done, need things that need to well, be you, completed. 
What's you the did quite a lot back then. <laughs> yeah. You said that what? I said you did quite a lot back then. You were a busy, busy oh. man. Like I was listening to an interview that you did and you were playing, recording, doing something. And, and the guy interviewed you at set up. And how old were you then? You said, oh, I was 14 then. I was like, my God, you were doing that much then? Like <laughs> That was with the Miss Birds. We, um, we recorded some stuff with Alfie Wade. That was like, you know, my first recording session, I was 12, with the um, All Bronx Junior High School Orchestra. Jeez. And um, that set me off because you couldn't hit a basses on the recording. And so I promised myself, I got to work harder. I got to work harder. And before you know it, this is like in the summertime, in the fall, I'm playing with some kids at a club at a open forum rehearsal space with three bands playing at the same time, acoustically. And some men heard me playing and they wanted to have me join their band. I just, wow. Well, I'm, only I'm only 12. He said, like, you have to ask my mother. And so <laughs> they drove me home and they asked my mother, <laughs> asked me, but when I do this, I said, sure. And that was it. Wow, times have I've changed. Been since, since junior high school, basically. But a lot of guys started 12 years old. <laughs> I think started at 12. Um, the two brothers, um, oh, man, they played with um, oh, two magnificent bass players, two brothers. Um, anyway, they started at 12. So it's not uncommon for mm. older guys to see talent in younger musicians and pull them along. Right. I mean, this goes historically through jazz and blues out throughout time. So... I'm just lucky to be selected, basically. When when did you start playing? When did you first? When did you when I was first? Eleven. Oh, wow. when you were eleven. So that literally yeah. happened in a year. Oh my god. Well, you That's, know, I see that I, to, I was. Go ahead. I was I was telling my wife yesterday. I said we think these things are are very rare. And they are, you know, rel they're still relatively rare. Like I, I saw this happen with Derek Trucks when I saw him at 11 and 11, 12. So I mean, he only been playing for a couple of years since he was nine, but he's yeah. extremely good yeah. already. Yeah. And you were like that. You started at 11 and at 12, 30 year olds hired you. And then you're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just going on from like some people just have that gift where they could get that good in a year. That's crazy. But I, I believe in magic, so I don't have a problem with it. It's the people <laughs> that don't believe in magic. I'm like, well, what about Jerry Jamont started playing at 11, and by 12, he was already off and running. By 14, he's recording in recording studios. You know, the first time I got into a recording studio, I think I was, I don't know how I was. It wasn't no 14. It was a long, <laughs> you know. Jeez, well, and the good good fortune, good karma. I mean, I really, if you read my book, you realize I wasn't that good. <laughs> Believe me. And shoot, I've come to, shoot. Now I will have to argue with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I know most people do, but you have to realize what makes somebody good doesn't always, it doesn't come down to technique. It doesn't come down to knowledge. It doesn't come down to skill. I think those are components, but the, my biggest driving force was passion. Yeah. I was playing out of desperation. And yeah. I can understand, and looking back now, after writing my memoirs, I mean, it's, it's a trip to go back and try to remember things I tried to forget, basically. And it made me realize mm. exactly, you know, to a great degree, what was going on, why people are so attracted to my music. To me, I'm struggling. And I was struggling, so it's almost like looking at somebody. Mm. Um, I'm catching your attention because I'm drowning. I'm trying to hold on to get a life grab. So that's that's that's, that's gonna capture mm. that's gonna catch your eye. You yeah. see somebody out there drive drowning in the sea, and you really can't help them, but you can't you can't help but watch them. So this is the kind of energy mm. I bring to the music. I realized that. I was struggling, I was real it, it was very hard for me to play music. I couldn't hear. I couldn't remember, was easily distracted, and I still have a lot of those same issues I've learned to overcome with knowledge, skill, and technique.
But the main thing was having that passion to even the commitment to go for it. It was I had no choice. I had no life before before the age of nine when I got hit by a car. I came out of the car accident, first car accident. The bass sounded different to me. I've been hearing Miles Davis mm. around midnight album before that. And all of a sudden, after the accident, now it's sounding different. I'm hearing the bass. And I proclaim, wow. I want to do that. Mm. First time I said that in my life. I never wanted to do anything because I had a multitude of brain injuries, falls, knockdown. I saw my best friend get hit by a car the year before. I wonder if I'm going to be next. Um, it was that serious with mm. you know people having accidents in that, that particular era. And I, um, mm. that woke me up, so to speak. It gave me a life. I had a reason to live at that point. I had no wow. other dreams or ambition, nothing I wanted to do before that until I wanted to say, I'm, I want to do that. And my mother said, wow, he, he wants to do something. <laughs> she got me a tape recorder so I could listen to music. She couldn't afford to buy me a bass at the time, but I got a little tape recorder and I record all the jazz stations, you know, record the music. And I'm finally, when I got to junior high school, yeah. I got a bass and a teacher, and then that's that's how I started. And it's in the book. So let me ask you. We got to get. Let me ask you something. <laughs> if you so you're saying the first accident you had at nine years old, it altered your hearing, and that was helped you key into the bass. No, it actually. I'm a, that was. I had many accidents before that. But that was a big one at uh, nine. I, I had started having head injuries since from the age of three, basically. Wow. Whoa. And at nine Whoa. was the big one. Like what? And, though, that music at... I, and I never could hear. So even before that, remember the first time I picked up a telephone? I had to pick up with my right hand being right-handed, but I couldn't hear anything. It was my left hand. Huh. So I've been doing that all my life. That was my first sign that something is off. I still can't. Right wow. Here. It was back then. Holy crap. I even got into the um the, the car accident. So I've had like, like I say, once you get once you get one TBI, you're gonna get another one and another one and another one. It's historic. It's no um it's no mystery here. I mm-hmm. met people, I tell my story today. Oh yeah, that blah 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 blah. We all have stuff going on. We try to hide our issues that we have. Um, mental issues, mental health issues, whatever you want to call it. Um, because yeah. we tend to hide these things. Absolutely. That's human nature. Yep. You don't want to be exposed. And then once you expose, once you open it up and you realize the world isn't going to, you know, uh, like punish you or chastise you, instead, you're going to hear from the people who needed to hear what you had to say. You realize yes. all along I should have been doing this. All along, I should have been talking, and it's so freeing, and it's so it gives it you is, a new it's purpose. Very freeing. It's yeah. Very freeing. It was oh. hurtful, but it was freeing to to to, to, to um to go through the process. You know, we had a we had a guest well, that's on. Why, uh... we, we had a guest on who said, uh, "Speak from the scar, not the wound," and I really <laughs> like that. You know, because it's like I think at a certain point you kind of have to like let things heal because sometimes you could be reactionary, mm-hmm. but if you're able to take that give it a day, give it a week and let it kind of gestate and all that. And then you can go, all right, I'm ready to share this. or I'm ready to talk about this. Cause then you're ready to be the conduit for that person who hears it to get the help that they may need Certainly. only all because of what, you know, we're just opening up and talking about what we've been through. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. And you look at the state of the world with people going off because they've held in things they've held in for so long, you know, you get the external stimulation from somebody like Trump. Yep. Who's bringing stuff out of people. I mean, it's just what we have to deal with as people to deal with what's our environment and change our environment. I mean, I mean we can go on talking forever about the environment. We look at, look at it now, what we've done as yeah. a species to the whole planet. You know, it's all it's really, happening. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Shameful. It's but egregious. We have part of being human. It is. We it create. Is. Yeah, you know, we is. create for our own self-interest as a rule. Except a brother like O'Teal yeah. here. Now, see, now he's a different kind of different kind of animal. He's someone that you can respect for the things he's done and what he represents. I've always admired your work. You know, your your commitment to music and to love and spirituality. I mean, it's like it's it's a beautiful thing, man. I was 
<laughs> I miss you, brother. Well, thank you. I, man, I miss you too, dude. When when uh got the front that time. You guys sat in with the Almond Brothers and it was you and Purdy and Cornell Dupree was still alive at at that point. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy and, Smith. Um, oh man, and uh you, you know, of course, we used to play Memphis Souls too. So we were like, man, uh, we, you think you guys could do that? You're like, yeah, you know, I, I definitely do that. So I remember that when me and Warren and Derek were talking about it, um, I got chosen to ask Greg. And sometimes Greg didn't want to do stuff. So, you know, you just had to catch him at the right time, the right day. Yeah. And so I, I, I said, hey, man. You know, Jamat, Dupree, and Purdy are here. What what do you think about us getting getting them to do Memphis Soul Stew? And he goes, Oh man. And I was like, damn, he's what is it? How are you gonna shoot that down? He goes, What in the hell are we supposed to do after that? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, he's like he doesn't want to go on after you. I was like, great. So I was like, so that's a yeah. He's like, hell yeah, that's a yeah. I was like, oh, man. And man, when you guys busted into that thing, we thought, man, because Cornell wasn't in the best health. I don't, I don't think he lived much longer after that. He did, and uh, he man, it was like you guys were in a, you were in like a time machine. Y'all might as well have been twenty years old, man. When Purdy kicked off that, oh, dude, oh, my goodness. And I know that King Curtis, you know, he's such a uh, formative part of your life, you know, and the ghost in your spiritual life and all that. Like, man, what a time that was. Uh, We were hanging out more then because I think you started playing with Greg, with Greg Allman right after that, right? Two weeks after that, he called me. And you made it happen because I got your drill cases and then your amps, the old stuff. Oh, <laughs> that's said, right. That's right. Because you, you outfitted yeah. me for the, you outfitted me. I had everything I needed. <laughs> but see that, that was God. Again, this is like a, a crazy synchronicity because yeah. he was just starting with Greg. Mm. I had just signed with a new amp company. So I had all of my amp and the backup amps all fully in road cases. And I got no place to put it because I didn't have a big storage (laughs) space back then. All that stuff just lived on the Almond Brothers truck. Wow. I was like, what am I going to do with all this crap, man? I mean, I'm not calling it crap because it was bad, but it was stuff. Like great stuff. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry was yeah, like, was- man, I don't have a rig big enough to go on tour. Like Greg's doing a big tour. I was like, bro, take this entire rig. It's, <laughs> it's already in the like, truck, dude. Yeah. I was like, yeah, bro. It's already in cases. <laughs> like just if you can make it disappear. So I think it just went straight on to Greg's truck, which might have been <laughs> one of ours. I don't know. It went to it went to Jack Devaney's garage. Uh, That's where oh, it went. Who's now Father John? Who's no, now who's Father now John? Father John. Wow, that's right. Who I took to my temple, but when he was Jack Devaney, to check him out Buddhism, and he said, "You know, I gotta get me more serious about being a Catholic." <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what started him. <laughs> Oh, oh God, I love it. He said, you know, Jerry, this is cool, but I think I better be work on being a better Catholic now, see how you're serious about this. You know, so <laughs> that's what he did. Wow. Next thing you know, he's entering the Friarhood and Brother, Friar John, Rubber John, now Father John. Yeah, And he was the now voice Father of John. This is a radio. See, this is a beautiful, beautiful, for people, this, what a great tangent. Um, Jack Devaney was a DJ. When we met him, he brought a Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Rescue Unit onto his radio show to play live. Where was so we he out of? Like Boston. Okay. At that time, okay. right? Yeah, so Boston. Well, he might have been, but Jersey was where he lived. Yeah, I think that's where he's from, right? Yeah. Why am I thinking Boston? But he might be Maybe working, I'm he wrong. Might have been working up the east. You know the East Coast how that works. Yeah, that's a yeah, quick run. But he was like, he was just an absolute scholar, like Colonel Bruce level of like 
music and all the kind of music that I really like. He gave mm -hmm. me a thing signed by BB King, I think from for my birthday because wow. I was born in '64. And you know, so he's like just a music expert. And then all of a sudden, one day he goes, I'm leaving radio and music and I'm going to the priesthood. I was like, what? And like all of that is because of somebody that actually played probably on that very record with BB King, Jerry Jabot, because you took him to temple. And he said, I gotta work on being a better Catholic. And boy wow. did he do it. Boy did he do it. Like circle. he was bedside, he was bedside for so many like terminal people during the pandemic. Yes. Like, oh no, kidding, he, really? Super oh, yeah. strong commitment, super. Dude, to yeah. to become a priest, like all you got to go through, like it's a lot, man. A Nine lot years. Of wow. And that's because this experience he had with you. Uh, see, spirituality exactly. just is like it's beautiful. It just gets you in touch with whatever your quest is, whatever your sure path like it doesn't matter like mm -hmm. as long as you do it right tend to your spirit <laughs> somehow <laughs> you gotta make it happen we gotta make it happen make it that's happen me. that's the name of jerry's book so y'all get it because man boy i mean you made it happen with one ear he's deaf in one ear before he even started <laughs> you're like the, the dopest bass player. How can you say with no skill? I, I get that whole thing because Colonel Bruce was like, you don't need knowledge. You don't need skill. You need that intention. What yeah. you call that desperation. He said, it's like having a gun in your face. He said that people will feel. But I think you do have the skill and the ears, even though you have one ear, like your ear is great, dude. Well, well For, my ear is based upon really... I can. I've always knew what um, it feel like. I was ex expert. My expertise lies in being able to identify a groove immediately, to recognize mm. what should be played immediately. Mm. Um, on most on most issues, sometimes I would be in a recording studio. They have it write a chart out for me, and I'd be playing the chart, but it's not any feeling right. And they play play the playback. Yeah. I go outside the studio in the hallway and hear it coming through the wall. And I listened to it. And I said, "Oh, now I know what to play." Oh, <laughs> wow! Maybe you're too close to it at times. Part. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it's too much overload mm. to actually be able to pick out the part that's supposed to be there. Yeah, and it's usually something very simple. Um, so I learned that technique in recording. If I can't come up with an idea, I'll go outside and listen to the playback from another room and just hear the like very essence of what it is, the overall thing, and then I'll be able to pick out my part. Yeah. That's because I'm being I'm being easily distracted. I'm hearing everything. I'm hearing string parts. I'm hearing you know, um, horn parts. I mean, if there's no horns and I mean, even if there's a rhythm section thing, I'm hearing a lot of stuff. Because I grew yeah. up playing a string bass, and I played a lot of classical music, and then I was playing pizzicato, playing jazz. So that's where I got my any kind of technique I have comes from playing upright bass, basically. And um, reading music came from having to play in orchestras. Um, so I was kind of well equipped that way, but man, I couldn't hear worth shit. Yeah, I couldn't tell beat flat from be natural. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. You were talking about when you know being in the studio and you sometimes have to go out in the hallway and you hear it through the wall and you're like oh now i know what to play and you are hearing all of this stuff like your brain you're basically saying like and i get that i think i relate to what you're saying where it's like just constant just a wheel of everything's happening in there at what point do you learn to just kind of like get out of your own way and trust your intuition because I feel like that's a huge thing with performers where even with stand up I, I find it like if I try to go in and force the material or force an energy it, it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it never comes out right but once you learn hey it, this is you know adapt and react kind of thing and just trust what you know did that how how important was that for you and then and where did you kind of pick that up along the way well, that was, um, you're talking about really 
sounds like you're talking about like this. I had an innate ability to know, and when I couldn't, when I didn't know, I had to resort to like basic skill, basically basic technique, and to get me um, to a place where I could still, you know, not be the driving force, so to speak, but just be there. Yeah. So I'm like, the whole thing that I realized the whole thing didn't rest on my shoulders. Although in my mind, you know, everything did, you know, I've got to make this, I gotta make this work. I mean, and sometimes it's like, like you don't got to play all that or you got to play, you, know, you play less. I find myself playing less and listen, listen more and see where um, playing little would be just as effective as playing more. Yeah. Um, so each situation was slightly different. I mean, it got to the point where I would sometimes like go. For, I was, I was, I found myself being drained of ideas where I couldn't come up with anything. I said, "Wow, this is a, it's a hard ass job here, man. I have to create something different every, <laughs> every time I show it." Because I made it hard for myself because I had to create where you're not gonna play the same thing twice. The thing King Curtis was the one who got me to play. Hold it right there. Because I play, I went from mm. one chorus. I play one thing. Second chorus, something else. Third chorus, I mean, I come up with a different idea for each chorus. So I learned to simplify and just play maybe pickups, leaders, and fills during the choruses, the subsequent choruses. So things like that. So um, sometimes I felt drained of, of um, ideas. And I thought, okay, I would play like, I'm going to play today, I'm going to play everything, as many notes as possible. Everything. I'm going to try to play as much as possible. The next day I play as few notes as possible. Just ah. give myself that creative, you know, push to make it work with playing less, and then make it work with playing a lot of stuff. Right. You know, it's what you. It's something that we do, I guess, to engage ourselves, to motivate ourselves at some point when you need motivation. You yeah. Know, things like that. I remember days like that. You know, fortunately, um, I could read, so a lot of my dates required reading, so I didn't have to even go that way. Right. Which was cool. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you have to learn to just trust your the tackiness in your brain and let the bullshit go and whatever sticks, you know that it's stuck for a reason, mm-hmm. and that's the flow. That's the part that's fun. Right, and, let's go. Let's yeah. go. Well, you always you bring up something that I always uh, mention to people, which is that when you're in the studio and you're doing someone else's tune. They give you this groove and they may have a part written out already, but it's not like you say, you, you're like, this doesn't feel right. And you go outside and you just hear maybe the bass drum, you hear something, you're like, oh, this is, this is what I need to play. And mm-hmm. then you change it. Uh, everybody in the studio is like, oh yeah, I like that a lot better. But then you don't get any writing credit for like doing it. Like <laughs> you come with all these great bass lines <laughs> for a, a whole album's worth of like bass lines for somebody that are all killer and it's stuff that they never thought of, but they don't give you any writing credit for it. And it's like, it's kind of tough, but in another way, that's what gets you called more. I mean, I know that's why they were calling you, Jerry, because they're like, yeah, he's going to come up with the dopest bass line and make my song great. <laughs> yeah. That's but you think like a composer, you know? Yes, I do. I really do. In fact, I tell that story in the book about how Jerry Wexler called me um, to tell me to come and they asked me to come and just observe a session with Aretha. He says, you're not going to play. Bring your bass anyway. Just be prepared. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. I love Aretha. I mean, I'm shit. I mean, I was good. Mm-hmm. Listen yeah. to her when, on W. Um, Mort Figa. He would play her disc, disc jockey in New York, a jazz station, when she was playing Columbia. That's so I know her from there. And every time I work in Columbia Studios, they had this big picture of her sitting at the piano. And I just sit there and just drool. Mm-hmm. Instead of, going, instead of listening to the playback in the studio with headphones on like I do in the other studios, I would go into the control room. <laughs> look, look at that picture. <laughs> I mean, I had a deep thing, but I was like, look. So this has been going on for like, you know a few years, and then they got a call from Jerry Wexler saying, come do a session, just come observe a session with her. You might play, you might not, but I want you to be there. I said, oh shit. Oh, I never I never got a call like that before that or one since that. It's the only call. <laughs> <I've ever had. laughs> so I, I get to the studio at 10 o'clock in the morning. 
And they and they already working. The band from Muscle Shows. They had you know Tommy Cogville, um, wow. Johnson, Roger Hawkins, Spooner Odom, and they playing this song and she's singing the song. A lot of energy, blah blah blah. And this, I said, oh, they it ain't happening. So they went on take after take and ten o'clock session ended up one o'clock. They still hadn't gotten anything down. At that point, <laughs> Jerry said. Came back from lunch. She said, two o'clock. She says, go in there and see what you can do." Record a thing. You know, I tell that story in my book, um, word for word. I don't know if I tell that well now, but that's what that's what happened in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, it's just so interesting too because it's like O'Teal's like O'Teal's saying, you know, you don't get that credit, right? Or you don't get that maybe extra bump okay. in pay and stuff like that. But when you care. When you can't help but care about the quality of the finished product, you end up maybe not getting those, like, you know, the whole, like, well, talk to my agent first, and then I'll come in and fix this. You can't help but go in and fix this. Like, you're an energy problem solver. I sat there for three hours in pain, man. I mean, (laughs) pain, listening to them butcher what try, not a, but this this thing. They tried to make it into a slick R&B song, basically. They would go for something, and it wasn't about that. You right. know, she was talking about, you know, freedom and, and peace, and, you know, and rights and treat me right. I don't, you know, this... I heard the groove at 10 o'clock in the morning with the play. So I had to sit there for three hours listening to them do something else. And it's, when I played, that's what I did. And they all jumped into it. Yeah. Right away. So, so you met Dwayne Allman in that same period right i'm hitting before that well yeah i met i met Dwayne through ken curtis we did the um instant groove album together he was on that that's where i met Dwayne, and then i didn't see him for a couple of years um hit in and out and then he's went in 68 he um they sent us both down to muscle shows to record and that's so wait a minute. Started. Let's 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 back up. Let's back up. What year was Instant Groove? Sixty. Um, we recorded in sixty-eight. Well, yeah, I guess it's about the same time. I think we got a Grammy for um, games people play on that same album for sixty-nine. So it was recorded. I believe it was recorded in sixty-eight. And then they started. Wow, it's four <laughs> years old when you met Dwayne. <laughs> What's that? I said I was four years old when you met Dwayne. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so this was a, you said this was a King Curtis album. That's King, instant groove. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A, I, I need to. We did instant groove. We did um, games people play. We did um, Wichita line. No, Wichita line. I got the Lineman. record on my phone here, but you can look, you can Google it and find it. Yeah, wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I can't take it down. All you see is the cover, but <laughs> but it's it's um it's it's out there. You know, everything is everything we've done now is you know on YouTube. So everything it's accessible. It's great, you know, to have a level playing field. Now, being someone who goes into a room and feels the vibe and goes out in the hallway and and were there any studios in particular or any rooms? And all the places that you played that stand out that just had that instant magic when you walked in, like a Muscle Shoals or like a, were there any like just places that stick out to you that were like, this place has it. There's just magic dripping off the walls, you know? Well, it's funny. It's like the, um, when you said that, it made me, I, I immediately thought of the Hitch Factory because that's where I started making most of my demos and um, Allegro, A1. The little studios, studios had about a lot of studios in the Brill Building. Uh, they little funky small studios um, for demos. Um, but the Hedge Factory was really um, significant because I did. Um, I got my first Grammy nomination from working there. I got to okay. work with Big May Bell, John Lee Hooker, um, oh. Hall, Elmer Franklin, um, a lot of people I can't even remember probably, did, but. The, it was great. It was this is one of the hippest BB King? That's what we did the BB King stuff at the Hit Factory. Wow. Uh, 
That yeah. room is a really um, special. And the owner played, was a musician also. He played piano, Jerry Ragavoy. So we had a kind of nice relationship. And he hired the best musicians. I believe him be Wally Richardson, Billy Butler, Carl Lynch, Eric Gale, Cornell Dupree, Vincent Bell. The, um, this this goes on, this, this Al Gorgoni. I mean, there's so many cats that everybody loved playing at the Hit Factory on 47th Street. That's so cool. Yeah. It is weird how some rooms you just get in and right away, like comedy clubs are like that too, where you just get right in and you're like, I feel like I've been here before. You know, yeah. it's just perfect. And you think about the people who have stood on that wood. Oh, it's really wild. True. True. Man, I want to ask you about, uh, I want to ask you about the, one of the themes that comes up a lot in our podcast, which is mentors. And uh, who were some of your mentors that had a really profound effect on you? Well, the first one that comes off to my my head would be Ken Curtis. Um, in that sense, um, of course, musicians I looked up to, who I thought is my you know of shining light to follow, would be Dizzy Gillespie. Um, whenever I met him, we did a tour. <laughs> I did finally meet him years later. I was working with Jimmy Owens. We went to the State Department tour. Which Dizzy always did a lot of them. So Jimmy got was one of his disciples. So we got on that bandwagon. That I said that's that bandwagon, but that that group where we could make world tours for the State Department. And at one point, um, I did one with him, and we played in Paris, and we played in in Africa. It was really uh, exciting at that particular point. Um, to, you know, just to be that close to him and see him work his magic. You know, <laughs> sometimes he would yeah. play. The thing. He <laughs> get you know, in Paris. He just came up and just started scatting. Um, but this wow. is, he was so influential in terms of his um, his willingness to share his music with other people, to teach other musicians how to play this new form of music called bebop. Um, so I always looked up to him, admired him. Um, I didn't have much personal contact with anybody um, to be except um, I probably if I, I've never been asked that question though, Teal. So I never. Uh, They'll give it much thought, but the first person who would come would be King Curtis, then, of course, Richard Davis, who introduced me to True Buddhism, um, which was after that. And um, it's um, good people like you, O'Teal. Like, you know, that's why I call you McNasty. You know, you was inspired. <laughs> <laughs> that is, well, that is, uh, I think. If you read the book, it's I call you <laughs> McNasty, a.k.a. Or <laughs> it's in print. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah, I know cool. I'm immortalized. <laughs> we got to make you a jersey with McNasty on the back. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to listen. Well, to I love song. that though because there's two versions of the oh, lyrics. Yeah. And when I heard it, I go by the sound, the song itself. But then Eddie Jefferson wrote words to it. And somebody else wrote words to it, referring about a musician. And Horace Silver, when he entered the song, he talked about a guy of ill repute who's blah, blah, blah. And um, you got to hear both versions of the lyric version. They're both completely different, different character. But I was into, like, the, you know, just the idea of the person being so hip and so slick, basically, yeah. which music portrays. <laughs> you hear the song, you say, God damn, that's some slick shit. You know? <laughs> 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 well, Horace, uh... you got to hear it. Tilford McNasty, Horace Silver, recorded live at the Village Gate, which is wow, now at the CPS. Village. Wow, you the Village that? Gate. Yeah, I mean that's oh, how. Are you serious? Sideways, they record so much music at the Village Gate. And in the nineties, they stripped it down, and became a CBS. Yep. Oh man, sucks. Man. That music. that I'm down in that area. I'm in the West Village all the time doing uh, shows and it's just walking around that neighborhood thinking about, you know, from Jocko playing at Washington square park to mm -hmm. the village gate to, you know, cafe fiend, John and the wah and all the rooms all around there, the Vanguard. Yeah. It's lit it, it's just like, first of all, it's an honor to even like be, I get to perform all the time there, but I think about, man, it, that, I, that never escapes me as like the people who have stood on this wood or the people who have, you know, yeah. eaten at this table. Yes. 
or the people that that Lenny, is some Bruce that, that, that stuff to me is, yeah. is Robin Williams. I mean, I think about that a ton, you yeah, know, like, but yeah. it's just wild to think about yeah. that. That those clubs, yeah. It's really, really amazing stuff. Can I, I, I got, is it okay? Can I back up to, in the beginning, we brushed real fast over something that I, I have to ask you about. You, you Please had, do. you had a bunch of injuries at such a young age. And what was it like just playing as a child type accidents, like falling down and hitting your head? Or was it like, actual like car injuries or i mean that i'm so interested in what all that was what, what happened sounds like it was all the above <laughs> it, was, it was all of that i mean finally i it was like finally i got hit by a car but finally every- <laughs> <laughs> you could check that one everything off. else hit. it's like a cartoon i just figured like an anvil just dropping from the sky like i mean it was one thing after another my sister reminded the book i asked my sister some things, you know, because I had to fill in the gaps. I didn't know. Yeah. And she told me wow. exactly what happened and how she would take me to school and I would walk in the poles. I remember before that, my first fall, and it was I was carrying somebody on my back. We were playing a game, and we fell into a, a basement. That was the first time I got knocked out. Oh. The second time I was doing something similar, I said, oh, shit, I was supposed to be doing this. I didn't tell anybody. So it went on from there, basically, where um, sometimes those, if I didn't, if nobody saw me, I wouldn't say nothing, basically. But my sister remembers taking me to school. I would walk into a pole. I remember walking to a pole um, twice on my way to school. I, this pole, I'd say, I, just drive me crazy. And they finally moved it when I got to high school. <laughs> <laughs> I, for you. What the hell? I was I was so damn relieved. <laughs> That's interesting, man. So the same pole kept I would invariably run down the steps and walk into this pole. It's, so, they moved the pole. You going around it wasn't moved the pole when I got to high school. That's so weird. And I was like, oh man, wow. Thank Don't God. worry about that no more. Because when you have a brain, a lot of brain that's be paranoid, you have panic attacks. Yes, uh, yes. A lot of things that you, like, you know, be aware of your, just your stability. Yeah, yeah. I think about that quite a bit now, you know, like they're finding with athletes and NFL football players oh, and gosh. about that, the CTE, that frontal brain injury. But, you know, think about it as a child. No, I mean, we I used to... Stuff? No, we, parent, I mean, never wrote, never wore a helmet riding a bike, would always, you know, uh, play like tackle football and take knees mm-hmm. to the head. And, you know, yeah. you're running through the woods, you hit a tree. Like, yeah, I thought about that so much they, that. They up. Yeah, they, yeah. It's very, very You know what fascinates me, though? The thing that really fascinates me is that this chanting, because we, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. We have some. Uh, psychedelic mushroom experts on and and these the mushroom psychedelic and non-psychedelic help uh, certain ones help with neurogenesis so it helps create new pathways in the brain and rewire through damaged ones or around damaged ones and I'm fascinated how something like chanting could help you achieve that thing because you're going through all these things that like football players go through and but this chanting <laughs> helps you rewire your brain or stabilize it. Can you talk about that some more? Yes, it, it penetrates every cell of your body. And the, there was terms that it gives you. I mean, everybody has a different experience with it. But as far as what you're saying, I can definitely agree with it. In fact, just the other day, I was watching Netflix. They have a series called Human. Love it. I saw it. Within. So and good. It's exactly. So I was able to see, realize that when I'm chanting, I was actually seeing what I saw on Netflix. Was Netflix showed me a visual description of everything that was going on. And I realized I'm chanting. I'm affecting all that's going on in my system. I was actually, it was just mind-blowing when I made that realization that what I've been doing for the last 50 years and how it's like it's been almost like scientifically proven now. In that sense, because it's yes. a lot of, you know, yes. you're, you're sending out waves of energy and that penetrate the past, 
the present and the future. It's not just like I'm chanting now. I'm chanting now, but it's affecting my past. It's affecting my future. So it's affecting my karma. So therefore, if I get opportunities in this present life to change my karma and do things so my future is going to be better. Yeah. And get the opportunity to do the work. And, and, And conversely, if you think about someone who is screaming all the time or angry all the time or yelling all the mm-hmm. time, the opposite of chanting, they're also putting that vibe into their oh, yeah. future and their past. So it's, the, yeah, you know, it's the, the intention, yep. the intention behind the physical vibration, Yep. you know, whether we were talking about this at our music camp at Roots Rock Revival, we put up on the screen this thing called somatics where they'll put some sand on a platform that can vibrate. And when you, change the tones these different patterns happen in the sand Mm -hmm. and you can also do it with water and you see geometrical patterns for you know b b flat c d like clear and then you think yeah we're like 75 percent water Mm -hmm. so those vibrations are making these patterns in us Now, the intention behind those vibrations can also, of course, it's going to have an effect. It's like, you know, you could call it magic that science just doesn't, they're getting there to explain it. But right now, it's still in the magic category. (laughs) We just know it works. It's magic. It's mystic. I think mystic might be. um, Mystic as well. More appropriate word because it really, in terms of the, um, it, it covers everything. The unknown, the unexplainable. Yeah. At the result, yeah. the result, but the is is the would be the effect, but the cause is the mystic connection. Yeah. Uh, it's just incredible when you have a, a connection with the force. That's what I loved about Star Wars. When I saw Star Wars the first time, I said, "Yeah, there it is." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. That's right. This was it for me. I said, "Wow, somebody actually put it together and yeah. made up." physical yeah. thing other than the Gohunzen, I mean, a, a movie about the force, about the force. Yeah. Yeah. yeah made it, pal- they made it palpable. They made yeah, it like, they made it palpable. Exactly. I was so happy to see that. And it's just like, that's, I went to see Star Wars five times. I took all my nieces, Two. my kids with me. Yeah. <laughs> it was deep. I still see it. I still watch it. Yeah. I watch it with my kids. Now we watch the cartoon. Yeah. Cause it's like, look, this, you have magical powers. You You can can use them for good or evil. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure because whatever you do, that's what's going to come back. So, you know, the emperor, that's why he looks so jacked up. You got to pay that tab. (laughs) You're going to look real ugly in the face. And I see it with (laughs) real people. I can see it with real people. You look like the guys that like are doing the horrible stuff with hedge funds and the financial. You look at them in the face and it's like, ooh. The yeah, emperor, dude. The puffy eyes. You're, and, you're paying your time. Yeah, yeah. I'd be and... like, Dad, get away from me. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, yeah. Jerry, it's so true too. Like you were saying about with the uh, the chanting and the the reciting and that energy and stuff. You know, I've been lucky enough. I've been practicing doing transcendental meditation for probably you know around a, almost a decade now. But I went to a group meditation, and there mm-hmm. was a veteran who had very bad tremors, like almost nonstop tremors. And it was from events that happened when he was at war. And when he got into the group meditation and everyone was reciting their mantras, he wouldn't, there were no tremors. It was literally like the 20 minute periods Mm -hmm. of the day Mm -hmm. that he Mm -hmm. did not have that physical reaction Mm -hmm. to the PTSD. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. was the only thing that could help him. Stuttering. Yeah, just yep. to be able well, to meditate and recite that it, mantra and to chant and everyone's in the group. And he said the best, you know, feelings were when he was in that group setting and well, ev- yeah. everyone was in that that mind state and that energy and at that level of consciousness where you're below the, you know, tumultuous current that life is. It was just incredible to see. And it was literally we all were like blown away and he just had tears streaming down his face. It was really, really wild. The environment makes a big difference. It can do, do that. We can do that for each other. Yep. Yes. Yep. Entrainment. They call it entrainment. When we all get synced up together, when we all get synced up, mm-hmm. and you can do it 
You can That's use concerts. it for evil cult leaders. Concerts, no. cult leaders do it all the time. Bad religion, like, you know, the the uh, 24-hour news cycle, cable news mm-hmm. entrains people. We all It's just like, you know, when women, they all get on the same menstrual cycle when they live together. <laughs> it happens when we improvise, like when we're in a, a jam that's going a long time, and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're like... Yeah. It, it yeah, trained we're together we're, we're mm-hmm. gps locked to each other like a school of fish yeah yeah and, uh, it's it's such a beautiful thing when it's used positively like, like that yeah. and yeah. not negatively when you got to drink some kool-aid at two o'clock and everybody die mm-hmm. that's <laughs> what they do that's what happens we <laughs> think for the good or for the bad yep it's all about that intent <laughs> mm-hmm. that's right well man we haven't even talked to you about playing with Ray Charles, Roberta Flack, BB, uh, Freddie King, Chuck Berry, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So we'll have to get you back because as often happens, you know, we may try to talk about music, but it goes back into life and spirituality and other things. That's, so That's the cause. This is the effect. This is what we do. You know, this, this, we look at what, <laughs> what makes somebody or anything what it is is based upon what they really are. I always tell people to, if you like a particular artist, find out about their life. You, your favorite bass player, your favorite horn player, what kind of life do they really have? Yeah. Um, their personal life like? And it's interesting to see the connection between you and that particular person. That you know, oh, I'm like that too. Wow. I look at my students and I see I see them and me. Yeah. Uh, me and um. So it's um we come together um not by certain by happenstance it's really basic um the mystic law brings us all together even we believe it or not yeah it's, it's happening <laughs> and and O'Teal, I bet that everyone who's <laughs> listening can read about him playing with all those amazing artists in your book can you please tell everybody where they could find your book and what it's Only called exclusively on Amazon. Um, it's called it's Make been, It Happen. Make it's called Make It Happen. It's been number one, or it was number one on July 4th. It's the number one um biography memoir of a jazz musician, and it was number one of a RB musician. So it's like, um, it's been making waves, and I hope to make some more um wave with it. I have um my color sound project, which I'm I have to get going. Um, in fact, when they saw that movie, um that we saw Eric the um the um the world within. It was a woman who sang who was deaf, beautiful voice. And she was painting, she would put the letters of the note names where her throat where it vibrated because she can't hear at all. Okay, so she's wow. singing, she can't hear. And she would look in the mirror and where the note vibrated, she said, okay, there's a B flat over here, and there's a C over here. Wow. Wow. Oh, what? With my system, I have colors for all those notes. <laughs> Whoa, that's, that's oh, amazing. Synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. I got to find out who awesome. it is. I got to look at it again. <laughs> but um, we learn different ways and we, we you know, we overcome so-called yeah. disabilities yeah. Um, with our passion. And, our, you know, for me, me, it was desperation. It turned yeah. into passion after desperation. Um, but it's um, something that we all have to, within us the ability to, to, to tap into. Right. We should be we should yeah. be doing that, and your show is really um, uh, what is the name? Come um, come at come a time. Comes a time. Comes a time. Yeah, it's really so apropos for what you're doing and for what really takes place. It comes a time where you have to like get it together. You know, you have to start with the you know, <laughs> throw out the bad, bring in the good. You know. Wake up, the time to get it together. I pretty much think that's the new soundbite for the beginning of our episodes, right there. <laughs> it comes the time to get it together, baby. It's time to get it together. That's this season right now. But God, it's such an honor to chat with you. Would you come back yeah. on and chat with us more? Man, it'd be my pleasure, man. You guys are really cool in this thing. You know, OTO, man. I can't there's much of love for this brother, man. If you tell me to damn that whatever, I'm I'm in. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you, man, because I tell you what, I've been studying your stuff. We're doing some Aretha Franklin with the singer, uh, Alfreda Gerald. We have some gigs coming up. 
and it's all of your bass lines. <laughs> I'm just like, man, Jerry. I was like, I need to call Jerry and get him on this podcast. What you been thinking, O'Teal? All this legendary stuff you play. So we'll get into all that. We'll get to all the stuff you did the next time you come on and uh, that all the stuff we left out. Sorry, y'all, but uh, that was good you'll hear it or you heard it in the intro. So you know what he did. <laughs> I love you, Jerry. Love you too, O'Teal. McNasty. <laughs> <laughs> and love all of you Comes a Time fans. We'll see y'all next time. Peace out, everyone. Peace out. Pantheon Media presents Comes a Time featuring Mike Fenoya and O'Teal Burbridge. Executive produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Produced and edited by Eric Limarenko and Stu Silverman. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Comes a Time with Mike Fenoya and O'Teal Burbridge. Be sure to follow the pod on social media, YouTube, and if you're jonesing for bonus episodes and exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get on the bus. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.